Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we like to do that in the spaces of sports, of comedy, of music, of business, of books, authors, pastors, great stories. The list just goes on and on. And I can't believe how quickly we get this guest back for round number two. He must have he must have got hit in the head pretty hard or something happened in his life that he got finagled into this. Peter Greer, Hope International, author of many, many books. We're going to deep dive into one today. But Peter, welcome. Thanks so much. It is awesome to be back. Again, nobody can see it, but I remember from before, I love your background. It's a beautiful site and images, the older I get and paintings and the right photos mean a lot to me. So I'll move on because I'm going to get sucked into that. And that's, you already talked about that before. So I want to start off by something that we did not talk about before. And I thought we did. And then I looked at the timeline and I knew we didn't talk about it on air. We, I think we texted about it, but you recently lost a friend. Brian Dunnigan, a young, sharp pastor at, uh, is it Highland Park Presbyterian Church in Dallas? Is that correct? That's correct. And you were just there right before he passed away. Talk about him as a man, maybe give a little background there. And what did you learn from him? And I was kind of blown away when I kept seeing this guy's name pop up. And then I went to his church's website and checked out sermons. Like no time in, I noticed you, you had preached there right before. So elaborate on that a little bit, because he seemed to be a pretty meaningful guy beyond his space in his church. That is absolutely true. Yeah. And so we got to know each other as part of a young leaders group early in our career. I started at Hope International when I was 29. And at the time, he was at Peachtree Presbyterian Church, large church in the Atlanta region. And then after that, moved to Dallas, at I, I believe to be the youngest pastor of Highland Park Presbyterian Church in Dallas. And there is no one who would not say uh, he was just a light. He he lived fully. Uh, mm. He lived in light of what ultimately matters. And so being with him on the journey, I would see him anytime I was in Dallas, but this was the first time that he invited me to share at his church. And uh, so I was with him on Sunday and then got news on that Wednesday that he had passed in his sleep from a brain aneurysm. And I mean, he is a picture of health, like outdoor enthusiast, uh, runner. Uh, we would always play sports, uh, no matter what the gathering was, there would always be sports. And I just couldn't understand it, Jeff. Like mm. it, it didn't make sense sure. to me. Uh, you're just with this person and um, went back to Dallas for his celebration and of life and listening to his wife uh, share and see his young kids. It was profound. And the theme that just came over and over, and they even played some of his previous sermons as part of the service. But we don't know. We don't know the future. And we don't know why certain things happen. But we do know who is with us mm. uh, in the midst of it all. And it was a beautiful 
celebration of life and experience of God's comforting presence that without question was with his wife, without question uh, was with those that gathered to celebrate his life. And um, for all of us, that powerful reminder, you don't go to something like that and not say, how am I living? And is it consistent with what I believe and what ultimately matters at the end? And Brian did that. Ah, I wish we had decades more together, uh, mm. but I do believe there are millennia more to come uh, oh. together because of the hope we have in Christ. And because of that, yeah, I just, I, you don't walk away without saying what ultimately matters and how do I make sure my life aligns with that? I think it's such a great takeaway because the other part I was going to ask, but you've already gotten that taken care of is, you know, what do you learn from someone like that? And how, where do we, you know, see first Corinthians 11, one and then about follow my examples. I follow Christ. You used a phrase in there over and over and over. And you talked about what really matters in our life. I mean, I look around me a lot and see where people either their life is that, and it, it counts. And those that don't, I got a guy right now connected to us who, and this is probably true of multiple. So I'm not, ratting anybody out, but somebody who there's definitely a sense they want to walk with Jesus, but the world and all that the world offers and money and FOMO and catching the big prize, whatever that is, that's stuff, that's materialism, that's being a life of the party wars against them. And until they die to some of that, and until they're willing to surrender and say, it's going to be a hundred percent about Jesus, their life's not going to matter to the extent it can. And how do you process and deal with that as a leader? You're around probably all types of profiles of people. and Because that's one of the biggest things that breaks my heart, seeing people settle for what doesn't count. And when they die, it's getting taken away, and it's not going to mean anything beyond that moment. How do you process that, not allow that to be something that you can, A, speak into it in a positive way, but not let it paralyze you with disappointment or whatever, whatever sphere of influence you may be in? Yeah, I mean, that's the reality, right? When you objectively consider every single one of us is going to let go of all of our stuff, all of our titles <laughs> at some day. And the question is, are we going to do that voluntarily during our life? Or are we going to mm. do that involuntarily yeah. at the end? But either way, we're letting go of our stuff. Either way, we're letting go of our titles. And I so appreciate David Brooks uh, talks about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues and the difference between how much of our time and attention is focused on the resume stuff, this title, this achievement, this accolade. And yet, what do people talk about in a eulogy? They're not talking about any of that stuff. Yeah. We're talking about the underlying stuff of character, of faith, of love, of service, of family, of connection, and uh, the stuff that matters far more in a eulogy. So in light of that, what would happen if we uh, spent a little more time thinking about uh, eulogy virtues and a little less time preoccupied with the resume virtues, I think our lives, ironically, would be so much yeah. fuller, so much richer, and so much more impactful, um, yeah, in the ways that that uh, that really matter. And that's in his book, what is it, Strength, Weakness? I've read a good chunk of that. What book is that? I believe that's in his book, The Second Mountain. Oh, maybe he talks about it in both, because I think I read it in... Strength, weakness, whatever that one book's called that Brooks wrote that was a little bit more recent than Second Mountain. So, yeah, that's, man, I, that alone does feel like it would change things for anybody. Resume versus eulogy. So, speaking of books, when we talked about this last time, I said I couldn't wait to get you back and talk about it. But Lead with Prayer is coming out soon. 
Why we we talked before about the timing of your books. Why this book now versus five years ago versus five years later? And when I looked at your book list again last night, I'm, I was just amazed that you've written with a number of different people. Once you answer that first question, the second part is how do you decide who's going to write what book with you, and how did you land where you did here? Yeah, well, actually, if it's all right, Jeff, I, the the two questions go together in the story of this one. So the writing process, it just, it's fun for me. When there is a challenge, when there's something that just gets lodged in my mind, I find the book writing process to be an incredible way of going deep in something that I really want to learn about. So there are some people that write as subject experts. I write as someone who is perhaps insatiably curious. And, you know, this one, uh, it was an invitation from Ryan Skoog. So he is the originator of this. This idea came from him. And Brian, a good friend, known him for a long time, and he reached out and said, I would love to write a book on the intersection of leadership and prayer. I uh, said, there's a lot of books on leadership. There's a lot of books on prayer. There's not a lot of actually exploring that together. He said, I'd love to do that. And my response was, Ryan, that is a great idea. How can I support you? But I'm out on that and the reason for that is not long before that, we had had this prayer day, and I just couldn't get my mind and my heart calm. I, I, I could not get my internal RPMs to a place that I actually could engage in meaningful prayer. And one of the studies that was done that I found uh, oddly comforting is the fact that if you look at pastors and Christian leaders the vast majority, over 80%, are dissatisfied with their prayer life. So I'm not alone in this. And if if you're a leader and you're feeling like, oh, man, I, I, I say that prayer matters, but it is hard to actually engage. You are in the majority right. in this. But I ironically did something. This was the next morning. He asked. We had this conversation on Friday, Saturday morning. I did have a time of a little bit more of a break, a little bit more time alone. And I get this overwhelming sense, um, Peter, you don't have to have figured it out. Be on the journey. <laughs> and I am so glad. And then Cameron came along too. But this journey that we have been on to learn from global leaders who prioritize prey has had a profound impact on my life. Mm. Uh, it has it has changed my prayer life. It has changed our organizational prayer life. And I am so grateful for God's goodness and grace and Ryan's invitation that allowed me to be part of this journey to literally learn from global leaders that have a different depth of prayer. I've been hanging out in the kiddie pool. Mm. Uh, there is so much depth in prayer, and I am not there yet, but taking a few steps into greater mystery, greater understanding, oh, it has been a profound wow. uh, journey uh, to learn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just how to pray as a leader and what that actually looks like. And we're going to dig more into that. So are you familiar with Pete Gregg? Have you read any of his stuff? or Because has he had an influence on you that way, I'm going to assume? Yeah, yep. Certainly uh, we uh, reference uh, him, I believe, different parts, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, his, his Lectio course, on Lectio Divina on the Uversion Bible app and just his books. I mean, I think he's... He's gold to me. So I got to ask kind of, you know, he's big in, in Christian culture right now, but John Mark Comer writing a forward. 
That's kind of a big deal. When that guy's name gets attached to a book, look out, it's selling. So how, how do you, just from a practical standpoint, how does John Mark Comer end up endorsing a book? I think there's two parts to that. One is that, I mean, you can look at the relentless elimination of hurry, and you can look at what he's doing with practicing the way, and mm-hmm. you can see very clearly inviting the modern church to discover the ancient practices and follow in the way of Jesus. And prayer is a critical component to that. This matters to him. Uh, it matters a lot to that. And and he was so gracious uh, in writing the foreword. The other piece of it, and the other part of the answer, is that our co-author, Cameron Doolittle, is the executive director of Practicing the Way, Whoa. and worked very closely uh, with John Mark Homer. And so that was just uh, super kind of, uh, of him to do this uh, for Cameron, for all of us. And um, yeah, his forward sets the tone for the book in a really beautiful way. That's super cool. I know with endorsements, those are more involved and more time-consuming and more strategic then people, I think, realize from what I've found out in that world. So definitely caught my attention that you guys, you know, had that in there. So what is the number one thing? You talked a lot about where your prayer life has been impacted. What would you say, because you have a resource page there at leadwithprayer.com that was really robust. I, I didn't have the time to get into it as much as I wanted to, but what would you say the number one thing in your prayer life has changed based on where you've been here? You talked about the global aspect of that. What's what's changing most in your prayer life? Yeah, I remember one of the early conversations, and it was with someone who was working closely with athletes, and he talked about just the intentionality that they have, the intentionality of thinking about weights and speed and and the plan. They, they don't They don't wing it. They don't show up today in the gym and be like, what do I feel like doing today? Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got the plan and the plan results in greater strength and and all that. And and yet how often do we approach our prayer life and, you know, maybe not have really thought about this? What are the tools? What are the ways? And so maybe just this is a, a simple answer perhaps, but just the intentionality and experimentation of prayer, something as simple as posture. Throughout history, there there are different postures that actually can shape our prayer life. The physical way that we are connects. And if I just am praying when I am lying in my bed with my head on the pillow, uh, <laughs> that, that, that will impact the prayer life that I have. And so intentionality and and an exploration um, in that and, and learning uh, throughout history and from leaders around the world. So we talk about the rule of life and this idea about have we thought about the ways that we think about the prayers? And and again, throughout history, there were certain things that were done in the morning and the evening, certain things that were done at midday, certain things that were done to create a structure and and certain things in using the words that others were given and, and praying them today. So just this intentionality and exploration in this incredible mystery. And you really think about it, that the God of the universe wants to have a conversation, wants a relationship with us. That is mind-blowing. And so, yeah, how do we how do we really understand that? How do we practice that? And a lot of it is hinged on this rule of life and identifying some prayer practices that if you put into practice, we've got this 21-day prayer challenge. I really do believe that you would have a similar experience as we have had of your prayer life will be impacted. You will discover greater depth and beauty in prayer as you go on the journey. So I missed the 21-day thing. I'm going to pay attention to that when I go back in, utilize that. But the prayer map thing, 
is tied to this rule of life thing, which the rule of life thing is becoming a very popular term in churchy Christian culture, I think in general. But talk about the prayer map because you can, you can just tell by looking on that homepage and scrolling down, there's some very clear cut. It's very easy. It looks like to be accessible to. What does that look like? How have you utilized it and encourage people that when they go to the website and check out the prayer map, I think one of the things I have struggled with in the past with things like that is feeling like it needs to have some level of completeness. And then I fall short and get like two thirds of the way through, three quarters of the way through, putting it together. And then I'm defeated and I put it on the shelf and it never goes anywhere. So walk through the prayer map. Oh, and I hope that the experience of this is reflective of the unlimited and boundless grace uh, that we are given. So I hope people, this is not another, you should. Yes. Uh, I hope this is a, I can't believe we get invited to mm. on that. So um, yeah, I hope that is the experience. And then the tools and the prayer map. I mean, really, it's all trying to say there is a gap between intention and action. And how do we close that gap? And And again, just my own life, I would have said that prayer matters. I would have said that Mm. why in the world would I as a leader rely on my own strength when we're invited to come into before the God Almighty who cares about what is happening today in our life and in our organizations and in our hearts. Why in the world would I try to lead in my own strength? And yet you look at the actual amount of time uh, that is allocated. And Mm. again, there's a gap. So yeah, really, that's the invitation. Tools uh, to to close that. And um, it starts a lot with really just understanding. Let's understand what prayer is. And then let's learn personally, how do we personally prioritize prayer? And we don't get to the third part, which is really how do we multiply? How do we create cultures of prayer in our organizations until we've been on the journey ourselves and understood what that looks like? But the end result, the end goal is not just that in isolation we would pray more, but how can we create prayer movements? How can we create, doesn't matter where you work, but how can you invite others into this journey together? And uh, that's been the fun of that, of not just kind of the learning about prayer, not just trying to practice prayer, but then really having this experience of let's multiply this in the places of, of work, places of service, and in our churches. Wouldn't that be amazing? We believe when you look historically, incredible, incredible movements all are downstream from a commitment to prayer, mm. without exception. You, you look at the great movements of our faith, they are downstream from a commitment to prayer. And so, yeah, we're pretty eager to explore that uh, together. And what would happen in our day? What would happen in our time if we became people who pray? Well, and you alluded to it in the past podcast. One of the things you said towards the end of that episode was you really believe there's more to it, more power, more time maybe spent focused on prayer and community. And it really looks like you guys were wise and strategic about this, not just being for someone to go off by themselves and pray, but this is really a fellowshipy community thing. Speak to that a bit, maybe how that's more application to be had there with groups of people. Yeah, I don't know. I think you just made up a word, fellowshipy. I'm not sure <laughs> how you feel about that word, uh, but I love the idea. Of it and uh, let's roll. Let's roll with it for both of our sakes. Uh, (laughs) To me, I just uh, the great stuff, right? I remember early on when I was uh, traveling internationally that sometimes I would first moment I was I was on top of one of these amazing vistas and I was alone. I was experiencing it alone, and there was something in me that was like, "Oh, this moment is meant to be shared." 
I, I just, I, I literally felt the great disconnect of incredible loneliness with this incredible like moment. And I think that we are wired, hardwired wow. to be in friendship uh, with others. And I think we uh, neglect friendship to our own detriment. And so yes. the prayer journey, if you look at, if you simply Google prayer, what images come up? It's all individual. The idea of prayer is a individual thing. And yet that is not global or historic. Mm. Uh, prayer was much more seen as communal. It was much more of a collective. It was much more a fellowshipy uh, <laughs> activity. I'm coining it. Uh, I'm copywriting it. Don't don't get on there and try to trademark this. It's all yours. It's all yours. Uh, but I just think that to me is the great joy. And I think this is part of maybe your first question of uh, maybe that's why I write with others too, is the journey. Yeah. It's just enhanced. It's just greater when we're doing it with friends Amen. and bouncing ideas back. And I just find, yeah. Life is fuller when it is lived together, yeah. and our prayer life can be lived and experienced uh, corporately, collectively as well. I don't know if you've got anything in the works with this. I'll encourage it if you don't. I really hope there's a version devotional plan that's to come out to go with this, because I just think it'd be golden, could easily be accessible and utilized based on all the people that touch that. Now, it's easy for me to say that, knowing nothing about what's required to make that happen, but your eyes somehow tell me that maybe that is in the works. Is that something maybe that's going to happen? By the time this podcast goes, it should be uh, up there. Oh. But yeah, lead with prayer. There's going to be, and the friends at Version have been so kind. Almost, yeah, most of the books that we've done have a Version reading plan associated yeah. with them, and they've been so kind, so generous, and been helping us. I mean, the end goal is, yeah, it's to get these ideas out and um, they're all rooted in scripture. So it's been so much fun to partner with them and, and figuring out creative ways to, to share these messages. Well, when you look at like CEO of the board, you look at Mission Drift, those are not as easily accessible as what this, this is going to be low hanging fruit to the nth degree. So I'm excited. Will there be any uh, video that goes with that or will it just be the words that appear on the app? Right now, it'll just be the words. Okay. I love your question, though. And uh, certainly, that's something we can explore. Let's explore. I'm liking the idea of that. So I'm, I'm very fascinated and enthralled, and it resonates in my heart. You got the section on there about one-sentence prayers. That, again, is much more easily accessible. I know that's something I've tried to lean into in my own life, even phrases. For me, I think I've even just, you know, one of the things I've done is just to say the name of Jesus three times. And that brings a stillness and a peace to my soul. Talk about the impact of one sentence prayers and the why. Yeah. And if I could just do a quick plug, one of the things, if you go on leadwithprayer.com is these prayer cards that I found so helpful mm -hmm. of just having different themes and just having a way of guiding prayer. And funny you say that about the one sentence prayers, that was the card that I had yesterday of reading through those. Mm. And um, again, sometimes it's, you know, we think about many words on that and, and getting prayer right. But I love that I think God invites us in a childlike simplicity to come with just simple ideas. And in scripture, there's a lot of one sentence prayers that we see. Uh, so exploring those and uh, to me, just having those that are breathed in throughout the day that are on my mind and knowing that God delights in them too, of just uh, pausing and inviting in this moment, real short, real concise, yeah, one sentence prayers that have been real profound on that. So yeah, recommend you uh, get that. Again, that's one of the many things to try and not just take this as an idea, but how do we take these ideas and put them into practice? 
Okay, so for me, a couple of verses jump out that are like, ooh, yeah, those are definitely one sense prayers. You know, John 3.30, talking about he must increase, I must decrease. Mm -hmm. In Philippians 2, do nothing in our selfish ambition or vain conceit and humility, consider others better than yourself. Those would be two, like, go-to one sentence prayers. What are a few examples of that for you that have been kind of go-to, you go back to them often, one sentence prayers? Oh, I mean, the couple that uh, from the last several years, but I just love the honesty of, Lord, help me in my unbelief mm. <laughs> on that, like, yes. God invites it all uh, on that. This is tough right now. I don't see, I don't understand. Lord, help me. And maybe it's just that first uh, time uh, shortening it even more, calling out uh, that. Yeah. And then I think the other one, uh, just on the opposite side. So if that's on the the challenge side, uh, my soul glorifies you, Lord, on that, like just getting mm. that soul satisfaction, yep. getting your soul happy in the Lord was something that we heard uh, many of them, because when our soul is happy in the Lord, then the other things that can distract us, we're just not as enticed when we found that true joy in relationship with our Savior. Amen. Amen. That's really good. You mentioned in there, I think I must have, I must have seen it on the website. But there's a line in there about making a prayer line item in your budget. <laughs> that was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll elaborate on that. Let's cut ahead and get cut the chase about thoughts you guys have about that. Yeah. I mean, so that was from a pastor in New York City. His name is John Tyson. Yeah. And he said that. He said, if you value it, uh, your budget will reflect it. And how many of us actually uh, put money and time, things that we have at our disposal, and uh, the question is how much time and how much money are we putting towards this? And, um, you know, one of the pieces that we were really struck with is this actually is an opportunity for us to say we value it, so let's make sure we're resourcing it. Another organization that does this well is International Justice Mission, and they actually have allocated the amount of time that their staff spends praying, and it is a big number. Uh, I forget it off the top of my head, but it's in the book uh, on that. But it is a significant number, and they say this matters. How in the world could we do this work in the places and the types of mm. work we're doing without prayer on that? And so they said this amount of time and money. So yeah, several examples, nonprofit and church, they say if it matters, let's make sure time and money reflect that belief. Yeah. Man, that's... That's so encouraging. I just, yeah, I was at a concert where IJM was being promoted and hearing the musicians who were talking about it. It was really powerful. And, you know, I know it, we mesh in the world of Mission Increase and, you know, Mission Increase uses IJM as a ministry that they endorse and encourage and talk about the ways they do what they do excellently. So if prayer is that much of a point for them, that should speak to the whole rest of us that clearly there's a reason why and where is prayer connected to that? So let's take a little detour. We'll come back to talk about prayer a little bit more in just a minute, but we got to do the rapid five. You were great with that before. So we're going to jump in. I'm getting a little goofier on this one because I said I wanted some of the best of humor for you. So Peter, which three Stooges character do you most identify with? <laughs> I mean, come on, it's Mo, right? I mean, it's got to be Mo. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, don't you think it's the hair? Is it the hair? I mean, that's not what you got now, but you with some bangs like that, you'd be rocking it Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. My, my son just got his wisdom teeth taken out. My middle son did. My oldest son did a couple years ago, both kind of around the holidays type of deal or whatever. Both times we went in for a consultation, 
the doc had on two different ones, but he had three Stooges shirts on. I'm like, so this is the guy that's taking out my kids' wisdom teeth. He's a great doc, though. Come in with a two by four, right? That's I mean, that's, right. you gotta be careful. Oh, yeah. do you want the uh, do you want the anesthesia? Do you want just to go in there with a saw, <laughs> or do you want a two by four? That's a Peter. I told you, I knew you'd bring some humor like you did before. <laughs> okay, so you get any concert, any sporting event, any play, any comedy show at any venue in the world. What are you going to see, and where is it going to be? Oh, come on, you two, Las Vegas. I, oh. I want to see the dome yeah. uh, on that. Uh, you missed out. It. The show's over. I Aren't know, they done? I know. <laughs> yeah. So Netflix does a thing. I guess I guess they've already done it before. Where like once a year or whatever they'll do a comedy show at the Hollywood Bowl. And I just saw on Facebook yesterday they've got one coming out with Jerry Seinfeld, Nate Bergetzi, Jim Gaffigan, and Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm like, oh my! I'm getting ready to go see Sebastian. That's I'm going. I'm getting ready to go see Nate. Well, I'm going to see Nate. Sebastian put his tickets on sale 11 months early, and I've seen Seinfeld twice already. I've never seen Gaffigan, but I'm like, oh, I better get some tickets to LA. <laughs> Got to do it. Got to do it. What is the most overrated and what's the most underrated candy bar of all time? Oh man, I mean. Overrated, underrated. I didn't know you were bringing the heat uh, today. <laughs> you're really, you're really. We're staying my away mind. from NFL quarterbacks yeah. today. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna say the most overrated. Uh, oh dear, I'm forgetting the name. This is terrible. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna say overrated coconut. Almond Joy. Almond Joy. Almond Joy. I feel like Almond Joy. Uh, like a little it. bit overrated. Sorry. Um, yeah. And then Mound, mounds, I'll give you mounds because brown, if we're honest, milk chocolate's probably a little bit better than dark and they have the almonds in there versus they don't. So I'll let you say it's mounds. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for your I'm the question. host. I'm the host. I, I appreciate that. I, I'm very, very grateful. Uh, yes, Mr. Host. Um, What's underrated? Yeah. Um, oh, man. Um, you know, I, the first one that is just coming to mind uh, that I absolutely love is... Uh, it's got to be in the freezer, but Twix in the freezer. Oh. So it's a totally different experience if it's Twix versus if you actually put it in the freezer for a little bit more. So Twix in the freezer. Wow. I've done Reese's. I've done Snickers. I've done, I think, Three Musketeers. Never done Twix. Well, this might be the uh, biggest takeaway from today's yeah. uh, podcast. There well, you go. But here's, what's, here's what disheartens me every time I think about Twix. <laughs> Peanut butter Twix I don't think exists anymore, does it? I don't know. I loved it's peanut butter terrible, Twix. Yeah. The most underrated candy bar officially, though, because it's not, I don't think it exists. Or if it does, it's in one of those stores that, are, that there's like two in the United States is Powerhouse. Did you Ooh. ever have that? That's it's No. It was big when I was a kid growing up. It was a big, long one. And it was called Powerhouse, and it supposedly packed all this stuff in it. And okay. uh, go, go Google it. There's probably a picture yeah. somewhere in there. So you get your lunch of the four people who most fascinates you, your Mount Rushmore of a lunch meeting? Who, who are you going to lunch with? Yeah, you know, I think it relates to the prayer book. So I'm going to, that's a tough one, but I will just say uh, people that we engaged with on the prayer journey that just so, so profound. Uh, first on that list, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm. Our interview with her blew, I, I, I just, I still can't believe it. Uh, yeah. And her perspective on prayer and suffering and where is God, Ooh, that one. So I would say I, I would love to have uh, a follow-up conversation lunch with her. That was that was really, really significant. Uh, number two, in terms of people that, 
we engaged with. Uh, we already talked about it, but John Mark Homer, everything that I've seen and engaged, I, I think he's he's living it. I just really, really very, very interested with him. And then the other two, probably people haven't heard, but there is a woman that we talk about in the book who's been living in a war zone and just a woman of profound faith who early on in her time, she said, I just didn't have money to tithe. So I started tithing my time. So she said, the day is 24 hours. So what would happen if I prayed for over two hours? And mm. uh, that's a practice that she has had for her whole life on that. And there was depth <laughs> that wow. has sustained her. So love to actually, yeah, have time uh, with her. And then the the last one, if I could, uh, again, these are all people that that we learned from that I'd love to have the follow-up conversation. But there was something too about the interview with Francis Chan. Mm. Um, I think that he as well, yeah, such depth. And just that posture of listening, like actually getting your soul in a place that you can listen. So anyway, those are my, uh, those are the four that come to mind. Wow. Let's jump ahead to your book. And I guess I've missed this somehow, but I saw you have a book about 4040 vision and that was released, you know, not quite a decade ago, but a while ago, you know, Bob Buford, I saw endorsed it. I mean, he's obviously very, very famous for the book called halftime. I think with some of the guys I deal with now and people, younger, younger guys in my life, that book could be critical. Talk about that book and the significance of it. Maybe today, maybe if you did it over, you would add some content, take some content away, but uh, speak to why that could be important for a book for people. Oh, yeah, and that was incredibly kind. So Bob Buford did the foreword, and then very shortly afterwards, he passed away. Mm. Um, and in the foreword, he talked about kind of the next generation of wow. continuing the conversation. Wow. Um, that was, yeah, such an honor. Oh, yeah. And and it's really, it's based on the book of Ecclesiastes, and I wrote it with a friend, pastor. And I feel like this book of Ecclesiastes, you do not want to just proof text. You open up that book, and there is some crazy stuff in it. But I think it is one of the most brilliant books in the Bible that essentially says, if you take God out, what is left? Mm. And the reason we kind of called it 4040 Vision is there's a time in life when you start to realize the finiteness of life. And I, I kind of wish we could have another shot at rebranding it. I'd love to change the cover and the title. I still am trying to get another shot at that year one. Year 10's coming uh, out, so you could redo it for year 10. You know, I uh, believe it or not, have uh, asked uh, our publisher if that would be possible mm. <laughs> on that, because uh, I'd love to kind of expand it. Because I don't think I think we artificially limited uh, mm. what the core message of the book is, and I'd love to get another shot. But personally, at that time in life, that is when we start to ask the questions. And you know, for some, it's because they've achieved success, and it's like, oh man, my fifth deal just didn't do the same thing that that first one did what's going on? Or for some, it's, I'm just, I, I'm I'm not going to achieve what life has not turned out like I thought it would have at this point. And, and so it's really this exploration in light of the brilliance of the book of Ecclesiastes of saying, we can look at life through a lens that says, God is distant, not involved, or we can believe that God is active, engaged, and that changes everything. And, you know, the opening story is with my grandpa, uh, when he passed from this life uh, to the next in a hospital room and watching the way that my grandmother just threw her body and just, there was a level of uh, just, just like mourning the loss of a lifelong friend. And it was this moment for all of us that were there, all family. There was no question he lived well. Mm. He lived 
he lives so well. And maybe in light of Brian, he only got half of what my grandpa got, but he lived well too. And they lived well until the end. And I just, at that moment, I was not sure that actually the path that I was on had that Mm. same ending. And so that was a wake-up call. That was an experience. And being able to be with my pastor uh, friend, uh, Greg Lafferty, who was on the other side of this journey. And yeah, let's 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 look at life, <laughs> what really matters, and then let's align our life with that. So anyway, maybe that's uh, yeah, I could share a whole lot more, but uh, that was uh, that was a great experience to kind of look at the big picture and um, yeah, l- live hopefully uh, a little more intentionally as a result. Well, it's it's fascinating to me because I went, was at a comedy club last night with a big group of guys, and we went and saw a, at a comedy club a guy that I had on a podcast not long ago, Dustin Nickerson, and he made some joke at some point kind of related to the halftime type of thing, and he talked about, you know, where we look at someone mi- middle-aged and we're actually a lot older than them, and like, well, we're way wrong. They're actually <laughs> beyond that, and I'm 54 so by middle age, if we live to be 76, I think is kind of the current standard for American men. I'm like, I'm to use James Brown from CBS Sports, friend of mine, his language, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, I'm heading towards the fourth quarter. And I think we really need to take the time and effort to think about, you know, back to what you said early, what matters, what am I leaving behind, who am I investing in? This is such a such a such a important topic. So one of the ways we can play into that, I want to go back to one thing with prayer I missed. And I realized as I went back through my notes, I do not want to miss this. As you talk about praying in community, which is important, whether it's you know at a small group setting, it's getting together with a group of you know your young leaders you did back in the day with Brian or whatever it may be, what are some hacks you found that are really helpful to pray? You know, there's obviously the Acts prayer. ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. What are some different methods of praying in a group you have found very valuable? Oh, man. You know, I think the one that uh, just comes to mind initially is we've had a lot of benefit. um, And this has gone, you know, it's done, uh, reached a lot of places, but uh, every moment holy um, Mm. and uh, just the framing. Just Just order journals of that for people. I love that. I love that. Volume one and volume two mm-hmm. on that. I've got the travel version on that. And and so I guess what I like about that is in some ways, uh, starting with words that someone else and then just giving space for response on that. I find that to be a really meaningful way of engaging in prayer. It takes off the pressure of who's going first and, yeah. and that and just uh, framing this. I, I So that's what I'm I'm into right now. I find that really, really meaningful. Have you ever used the, um, and I don't think he does it anymore, back in the day, maybe several years ago, David Platt did a podcast called Pray the Word? I don't know that one. Okay, yeah. if you, so if you, you you know who David Platt is? I yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. If you Google David Platt, Pray the Word, and then you put in a passage of Scripture, inevitably it's going to be there in some way, shape, or form. I mean, you, it's not so so specific. Like if you said First Peter 2, 23 through 25, that's popping up, but something close to it will. And it's like five minutes maybe, but I've used that in my prayer life a bit lately, and it's been really helpful. And I'm just kind of in agreement with what I hear Platt saying. I was at the monastery I go to recently, and there were four guys one night after I left. I couldn't believe they did this. They stayed in a talking dining room. One of the guys said something like, hey, I've been really wrestling with and digging into Revelation. 
they spent six hours reading together the book of Revelation. They would pause at the end of each chapter and talk about it a little bit. And as you're speaking, Peter, I'm saying, you know what? Would that be considered prayer, what they did? I think so. Six hours, four guys at a monastery. I'm like, (laughs) I don't think that's why people go to the monastery, but... They ate it up. They're texting me after yeah. about how great it was. And, wow. and uh, so I appreciate what you added there. The last question, and then we'll get you on your way. And again, Peter, you're so gracious. You're so just life flows out of you. I love what I get out of our time together. The last time we were on here, you made a comment in your last soundbite about seven areas of growth in your life that you focus on. And because mm-hmm. it was at the end and or I missed it, I didn't ask you what those were. I want to pick that up, that up because I can tell it was very clear with you what they are, and it's a very intentional, I assume, fruitful thing. Tell me about your seven areas that you focus on. Yeah, so that was in relationship to the mentoring conversation and being in, in relationship with others. And so early on, it was just this identification of what are the areas that I am eager to learn and grow, and then how can I have people that are walking with me in those areas? Uh, in addition to kind of thinking about the friendships and other people that were pouring in. So the seven areas for me, and again, this was early on, but the first one was who is going to be kind of the the spiritual guide mentor on that. I want to make sure that I have someone speaking into my life on that. The second uh, was someone who had grown an organization. I wanted to figure out what does that look like to grow an organization. Third, I wanted to make sure I have someone speaking into my marriage I don't want to maybe state it in the positive. I, I want to make sure, like my grandpa, that at that moment, it 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 reflects a life lived together with Laurel on that. Mm. So uh, kind of marriage and family, being intentional on that. Fourth is finances. A lot of crazy things happen when we get our finances out of whack. So who's speaking into that? Who is line of sight to what that actually looks like? Fifth was kind of the area of uh, that I'm in, kind of nonprofit growth. I wanted to find someone else that had led a great nonprofit and um, really had done it in such a way that it was about the people. How do I make sure that the people that are part of Hope are flourishing, not just the organization, not just the mission? Sixth was, I think that we always have this challenge with distance in the work that we do. And I wanted someone from the places where we serve to mentor me who has a lived experience in a country of extreme poverty and invite them to be my mentor and guide. What is life like Mm. and what really makes an impact in that area and what can we learn? Uh, And then the seventh was kind of like the church relationship, which is a little bit different, but that local community. And I've been so uh, grateful for a friendship with just pastor friend that has been walking with me. So those are the areas. I'm sure there's lots of others. But to me, the biggest piece is not actually what the seven are. It is, are we thinking about our relationships and making space to learn and grow with others? So maybe that's actually the theme that cuts Mm. across Mission Drift and 4040 Vision and Lead with Prayer. It's like, let's be intentional with our life. Let's not just let it happen, but let's, yeah, let's think about that. Who do we want to be? And then how do we connect what we do today to that bigger picture? Man, it's funny as I was making notes as you were talking, kind of listing that out. And I thought, man, that could be a full time job. What you just said with those seven things alone, being mentored and spoken into about those things. But I love the robustness that it speaks to your teachable. You want to learn, and you don't think you got this figured out in a silo by any means. That's no. 
Man. Well, yeah, and just real quick, Jeff, on yeah. that, it's it's a two 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 system. Like initially with the relationships, it was would you meet two times a year for two hours for the next two years. So it was a very specific ask. They all have turned into much longer relationships. But at the beginning, it was very concrete. But that's 14 hours, which does not seem like too many on a annual basis. But it turned into just amazing, amazing, significant friendships. And and I would say what they have poured into me has has been the source of so much growth and, and health and, and fun. Did you get any no's out of those or did everybody say yes? It was interesting. Everyone said yes. And I think part of the reason it was yes is because it was time bound and specific. I think if I had said, would you mentor me? They would have said no. (laughs) I think going in and saying, this is, yeah, two years, two hours, two times a year. um, uh, Got a lot of yeses. Most of those are probably not in person. Is that correct? Uh, That is, well, uh, no, the majority are actually. Oh, really? Yeah. So you mm-hmm. just make it work when you're around them or they're going to be around right. you or you're yep. traveling yep. in an air. Wow. You have just given me a gift because person we just talked about offline is someone I'm praying through, like, where could we mm-hmm. have something more? I awesome. would bet he might give me that. So awesome. because if I asked him to be a mentor to me in time, he's like, I, I've got plenty going on. But if I asked him for that, so thank you for that gift to me today of what you just said. And I'm glad I went back and listened a little bit last night to our previous one, because I'm like, how did I gloss over it was at the end, but I should have followed up with a question there. So, Peter, man, I'm amazed yeah, when I do this. You are giving me life. You are giving me energy. You are giving me practical. Leadwithprayer.com. The book is coming out soon. If by the time this comes out, it may already be out. But please, people, check it out. Team Gathering in my world, we will probably be doing things with this. We've just ordered a bunch of copies of Practicing the Way. So I know that's... We mentioned John Mark Comer. That's coming out in our world. But uh, thanks again, Peter. You've invested wisely in us. So great. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.